This episode of Selling the Mountains is brought to you by Basalt River Park, a new riverfront neighborhood in historic downtown Basalt, Colorado. After an extraordinary community-wide planning effort, Basalt River Park is pleased to offer five brand new Water's Edge residences, impeccably designed by CCY Architects. The homes overlook the Roaring Fork River and have easy walkability to downtown Basalt. This is a community-minded development that includes the farm-to-table restaurant, free-range kitchen, riverfront office and retail spaces, and a new town park. To stay in the know, call 970-927-8080 or visit basaltriverpark.com. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of home ownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America including Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is Allie Phillips. Allie is an executive vice president and partner at Obermeyer Wood Investment Council, an independent registered investment advisor and financial planning firm based in Aspen and Denver. Allie manages client relationships, working closely with individuals and multi-generational families, as well as advises on asset allocation and investment strategy. Allie earned her BA from Middlebury College with honors in economics and has worked in the financial services industry for over 25 years. Prior to joining Obermeyer Wood in 2005, Allie was a vice president at Goldman Sachs and worked at Solomon Brothers in the U.S. and London. She is a board member and treasurer for the Aspen Center for Environmental Studies Endowment Fund, as well as Theater Aspen. When she's not at the office, you can find her doing something outdoors, whether it's skiing, hiking, golfing, biking, traveling, or keeping up with her two daughters. In our conversation, we discussed the concept of human capital and how our best savings and investment is taking our profession and leveraging it. We also talked about the challenge of finding a fulfilling non-traditional career in the mountains, but that it may take flexibility, patience, and focus to find the right fit. Lastly, we dove into investment strategy and the importance of a slow and steady approach versus taking a big gamble with your hard-earned wealth. I hope you enjoyed this great conversation with Allie. This episode is sponsored by SH Building Group. The experienced team of professionals at SH Built consists of client, site, accounting, subcontractor, design, and craft building specialists. They integrate the latest construction management technology and offer home guardianship services and advanced inspections. Tom Sherlock and his team helped remodel my home, and their attention to detail was unsurpassed. Start planning your project today. Visit shbuilt.com or call 970-923-1122 and tell them you heard about them on Selling the Mountains. So I am a financial advisor. I've been with Obermeyer Wood Investment Council for, gosh, over 16 years now. (laughs) And I'm sure we'll go into it, but I was fortunate to be able to join the firm as employee number six about, as I said, 16 years ago when I relocated out here from New York. 
In terms of our firm, we're one of the largest Colorado independent advisory firms. We actually have offices in both Aspen and Denver. And we were started by Wally Obermeyer back in 1998. So Wally's got a lot of ties to Aspen. Obviously, the Obermeyer name is famous around here. I'm assuming the company started just here in Aspen? It did. It, it was a lot of it is, is, you know, he very much, when he was a kid, worked for Sport Obermeyer, et cetera, but had the opportunity to go back to business school. And when he was there, he really loved, realized how much he loved investing. And so when he came back to the Valley, saw a great opportunity to start a, it was actually a branch of Norwest, which is a bigger bank at the time. And the Stars Aligned is able to start his own company back in 98. That is cool. And, I, you know, today I want to talk a little bit more about that in terms of, you know, professions that are available to people in mountain communities that aren't necessarily what people think of uh, when they think about, you know, a business career in the mountains. True. And that's something I feel really fortunate to have come because when I did move here, I had worked for two large investment banks, both Solomon Brothers and Goldman Sachs prior, and the opportunity to be able to live in Colorado and do what I love. I just feel so fortunate to be able to find it. And, it, and it's rare, but if you find a great profession here, it can be fantastic. So backing up though, let's let's unpack that a little bit. You were in New York City for a, a big piece of your career and, and got going and ultimately were at Goldman Sachs. Tell us a little bit about um, the financial world in Manhattan. So, um, and I fortunately, I worked both in Chicago, London, and New York for the two different firms. And when I was in New York at Goldman, the great thing is you have the opportunity to see different businesses. So I actually served even as chief of staff for the people who were running the fixed income division. It was a great introduction to finance, learned all about the markets and a really high level productivity. <laughs> um, so it was incredibly intense. And what I realized after doing it for so many years is that I wanted to slow things down a little bit. And that was part of the reason for us relocating and moving out here to Colorado. Okay, so you and your husband, Dave, who I know, you guys at the time decide to pick up and move cross country and leave the East Coast and the big cities. And sounds like you did a cross country trip and uh, visited mountain towns across the country and, and uh, ultimately landed in Aspen. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up here and what other towns along the way you checked out. Sure. So actually part of our journey is when we left New York, we actually thought we we're going to head all the way to California, which is where I'm from originally. But when we got out to Colorado, we both very much realized that when we were in New York, we would leave to go to the mountains each weekend. We would go up to Vermont or we'd even go out to you know, Long Island. And why were we trying to recreate ourselves in terms of city? And so if we were able to find a place that we could you know, have jobs, settle, eventually raise a family, we should try it. So our journey began in Denver and we hit every ski town between kind of Colorado and Canada. And in each place, we would go for a mountain bike ride, grab a burger, and look for a business directory. <laughs> and a lot of it was the sense is that, you know, this was in the 2004 when you had the bravado to do this, you know, before kids, before mortgage, and really realized that nobody could blame us for trying this for a year. And if it didn't work, we could move to San Francisco, but are so glad that we took that journey and found ourselves at Aspen. So why Aspen and did, you know, was there another mountain town that sort of piqued your interest or was, did you just know when you landed in Aspen? Well, some of it actually came down first to Colorado versus Idaho. So for instance, I love Sun Valley. I thought that was a great town, but really looking at the various areas, it just seemed Colorado in general had a lot more within its overall state. And also Denver was more of a thriving city than Boise at the time. 
And then within Colorado, for instance, you know, really loved Crest Butte, but you didn't get the sense that you could have a profession there. When we came to Aspen, it just seemed so much more welcoming. There's a lot of different businesses. I actually remember walking under the sign of Oberbeyer Asset Management when we came to visit it saying, huh, maybe I could work there eventually. So it was really just the concept of open community They had, in terms of culture and business. And as I said, in just terms to see a place, if we could rent a place for a year and figure things out, uh, fortunately, we were able to stay there. And this, that was you know, 16 years ago. And so how did you ultimately end up working for Obermeyer Wood? How did that happen? So one thing I found, the one of the great things when we first moved here is people were very willing to meet with you. And so a lot of it was good old-fashioned networking. Uh, but fortunately, someone who I'd gone to Middlebury with, his father lived in town. And when we sat down and gave our business background, he suggested I meet Wally Obermeyer. I actually did my first interview jointly with my husband because we were just asking about the overall town. But as it got teased out, recognized that the firm was growing, they were looking for something. So through about six months of conversations, realized it would be a great place to join at that time. And so the rest is history. And now today, what is your role at Obermeyer Wood? So two things. I'm one of our lead financial advisors. So I have a chance to work with families throughout Colorado and actually quite a few other states. I serve on our executive committee, meaning I really help oversee the day-to-day operations. And probably what I'm most proud of is I'm our chief problem solver. I like to be able to you know, roll up my sleeves and figure things out as we continue to evolve and grow as a company. So we all know that you know making your way in a mountain community, once you're past those kind of early years where you're dabbling or maybe you're, you're working in restaurants or at the ski company or whatever it is, making that transition to a professional career can be very challenging in a small mountain town. And you've been able to do that with aplomb. So I commend you for that. And I'd love to hear, do you have any advice for others looking to either make the move to the mountains or transition into a fulfilling professional career while staying and living in the mountains that they chose to reside in? It's a great question. So when we first moved here, uh, it was a great opportunity for me personally to take stock and really figure out what I wanted to do. And what I realized when I was looking around is I've always loved finance and numbers, but I've also liked working with individuals. So looking around, recognized, given my background, uh, I kind of transitioned from actually working on a trading floor to being a financial advisor to individuals. So one of it is being a little bit flexible. You're not going to necessarily get the job you had in the big city when you move to the mountain town. But if you're able to look at your background and kind of figure out what industry it most closely aligns with, that'll help you give the opportunity. The second thing I would say is, it's patience. <laughs> when they first moved here, I interviewed with anybody who would sit down with me and had the sense of I you know, got involved in the community and was patient and find that opportunity, it would be rewarding. And I'd say the third thing is once you find that career and you love that firm, stick with it. Because <laughs> there's not that many opportunities here. And if you're fortunate to find a firm that really appreciates, likes your background, and really wants to allow you to grow, it's, uh, it can be a great opportunity. No, that's a great story. And do you, do you, are there other firms like yours in other mountain towns or headquartered in other mountain towns? Or is, is Obermeyer Woods fairly unique? There's a few, probably not as, as large as we are. And part of it is because we have expanded within Colorado and have the office in Denver. But I do think, because I do still look when I look at other mountain towns, there's a few others who are maybe a branch of a bigger organization, you know, Ever Jones or Fidelity, but have an independent advisor 
our size in a town like Aspen, I think it's pretty unique. When did Obermeyer Wood expand to Denver? Back in 2008 is we opened up our first Denver office. And then actually about seven years ago, we merged with a company, Wood Investment Council, and we went from Obermeyer Asset Management to Obermeyer Wood Investment Council. And do you spend a lot of time down in Denver as well, or are you entirely in Aspen? So (laughs) pre-pandemic, I was down there probably once a month. One, it allowed me to get my city fix and, you know, do things that you need to do in terms of retail, but also just quite a few of the people who uh, who report to me are down there. So yeah, about, about once a month. Are you guys um, still working remote or are you back in the office? We are transitioning back to the office. The one thing if I look back to is, and we were really fortunate, is we were able to go from one day, everybody at their desk, and three days later, everybody working from home. And part of it was, is we had done some great investments in systems, so everyone was able to move on to the cloud. It, it actually even say it in, increased our communication because we all had to talk on Zoom, Teams, et cetera. And it really actually, you didn't feel like you had the two different offices. You had one big firm that was getting together virtually. As both Denver and Aspen have opened back up, we've actually been slowly transitioning back into the office, part of it's because clients want to sit down with us, but it's still in transition, but we're hoping to kind of be all back at the office together probably sometime later this summer. So no hybrid approach. So the interesting to think about this, I think whenever you really think about what the workplace is going to look like in the future, is you want to take the lessons you learned during COVID and apply them back to your at-work situation. So I think the goal is to make sure that people can have some flexibility in terms of a place to really think and be productive but also you want to be in the office to be able to meet with clients. So we're going to have some sort of a hybrid. We're figuring out those details, but I guess the key thing is really making sure we keep those lessons we learned that really made us very successful this past year and not lose those as we transition back to to the workplace. So you and your colleague, Dana Nightingale, uh, were recently named to the Forbes Shook Research Top Women's Wealth Advisors list for 2021. And that's marking the fifth year in a row that your firm has been recognized for this honor. So congratulations on that. That's amazing. Why do you think your firm is the only independent registered investment advisor with two team members in the top 20 in Colorado? Well, first, we're really so fortunate to be recognized by Barron's and other publications. It's really nice. It's just a huge testament to the strength of our team, as well as our great loyal clients. I think part of what it is, is I always describe as our team as a, is a group of really great high performers who love what they do. And because of that, they've been very successful. So, and also I'm really proud that we have quite a few great women on the team. So I think a combination of just, you know, great experience, a growing firm, a really large one within Colorado and being experts in our field has allowed uh, Dan and I to be recognized in this most recent ranking. You know, a lot of the listeners on the show our brokers and people that are interested in mountain real estate and and kind of what's happening and may not have an investment bank or a financial background. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the services that your firm offers and some just general questions about finance and personal finance and investment. So what, let's just start with, you know, at Obermeyer Wood, how many clients do you guys work with? We work with a little over about 550 families. And and one thing is we just work with individuals and families. We don't work with big institutions. And that's something we've really specialized in. Okay. And so a family comes to you or, you know, sees your services available and is interested. What what type of 
what kind of types of questions and issues do you help them with? You know, first thing is someone's hiring an investment advisor, you want them to be able to manage your investment accounts, your retirement accounts, your trust or taxable accounts to really make sure you have a good financial strategy and investments. Uh, the second thing which we really serve as for the most part is someone's financial sounding board. So people call us with any questions, you know, whether they should refinance their mortgage, how they're thinking about a car, how they should fund college expenses, what do they think about inheritance? So anything financial related, we want to be the go-to person. And that's a separate service than just doing the day-to-day purchasing of stocks and bonds. And the third thing is being a, a quarterback, <laughs> coordinating with accountants, attorneys, insurance, whatever thing to make sure everything is done in a coordinated and holistic manner to make sure that things are coordinated on their overall financial life. So does Obermar, what is an, as an independent investment council, do you place your financial investments with other banks or is that something that you guys manage on your own? So this is one of the things we're really quite proud of is we actually do all the research and investment internally. Um, so we've actually invested in a great investment team with people with CFAs or charter financial financial analysts and a lot of really interesting backgrounds. So we've hired people who at one time used to work at Janus or at Merrill Lynch or within the different industries, various you know hedge funds back in New York, and really taking that sort of investment expertise and bringing it in-house. So because of that, we do all the research ourselves. So whenever we buy an individual company, we model it, we do all the research, um, we do that for individual bonds. And so by keeping it in-house, we feel in terms of we're able to customize portfolios and really kind of hang our hat on picking the spots as opposed to outsource that to somebody else. So, you know, people that are in a mountain community might have the option to, you know, choose a a local institution that may have an office in their town, like a Fidelity or Edwards Jones. Why should they consider an independent advisor uh, versus going with one of those larger institutions? So the independent advisory space is actually one of the fastest growing ones within financial services. And it's really set up that you're able to do everything in the best interest of your client. Um, So it's essentially it's a boutique firm that you're able to not be associated with a large firm where you might feel as if you have to be as part of their products, et cetera, um, and really be able to make investments throughout the global markets on behalf of your client. Uh, It allows you to have somebody who really gets to know you and knows your story, and you don't feel like you're a larger company, and allows you to have that sort of boutique nimbleness by being a smaller firm than, let's say, one of the more uh, bigger traditional firms. So relative to the podcast, you know, do you work with a lot of people in the real estate industry? So we work with it twofold. You know, first and foremost, we do work with quite a few real estate professionals or in the Valley. Um, It's one of those things where they've been really fortunately successful and they want to be able to work with us to kind of diversify away from real estate and to be able to have that financial plan in place for them going forward. And then also um, we've been really lucky to be able to work with some of the people who've sold their houses and they've been able to take this really valuable asset and they would be able to put it in the investment markets as well. So those are kind of the two ways that we work within real estate in general in Aspen. So not everybody is just rolling their, you know, once they sell their home, rolling to the next home, they're actually taking, you know, the profit, if you will, and reinvesting that into assets? Yes. I think quite a few uh, clients have really recognized the fact that, you know, they fortunately bought a house decades ago in Aspen, have gotten to this unique situation. And for various reasons, they want to simplify. Um, They do want to have the smaller house. Maybe they want to travel more. 
or they really want to take in terms of what's kind of built up in a lot of house equity and put into a portfolio that they could generate income off of. So those are all the different reasons that they might sell and not put all of it back into real estate. So a lot of brokers and, and realtors are probably heavily tied to real estate. It's what they do every day and maybe they own some other properties. And would you qualify them as you know, saying, are, could they be overly exposed to real estate and is it important for them to diversify their portfolios? It's a great question because it's one of those where as we all know in terms of how we do well over time is human capital. I mean, in terms of our best savings, our best investment is taking our profession and leveraging it. So a lot of the realtors have done great in terms of serving their clients. They've made smart real estate investment decisions, but they're so tied to real estate. When you have an opportunity where you can diversify, put money into some other vehicle, it often makes a lot of sense. So we do a lot of financial plans with realtors, just showing them, okay, let's say the market slowed down. <laughs> um, how would this affect things? Let's say their income changed, et cetera, and just want to show them the benefit of having assets in the stock market or having in bonds, just so allowing them to get through a difficult period of time because we know real estate can be a quite a cyclical business. That makes a ton of sense, uh, right? And you know, obviously, right now everybody is in a really nice cash position uh, coming off of this incredible high water mark in terms of real estate in the mountains. But you know, that won't last forever. There will be downturns and slowdowns, and and with the inventory drought that we're seeing happening right now, there may not be as many transactions as you would think over the next six months. So they are going to have fluctuations in their income, and it is important for them to think about other ways to invest their their assets. So a, a financial investment firm like you guys does make sense, right, to make sure they're diversified. Yeah. And one of the other things is for people who've always been in real estate is in every asset prices go up and down. But a house, you don't have a ticker out front, which is telling you what is worth on that day. As you transition to a securities portfolio, people see each day, you know, what their stocks are worth. So we spend a lot of time from a behavioral point of view, just helping them explain that transition, how things are going to look different, but giving them the confidence that as long as they're able to draw income and kind of, you know, live within their means, they're going to have a great financial outcome. And that's really our goal is to make sure that people can retire on their own terms and be comfortable doing that. So, you know, in, in preparation for this interview, I was looking at your website and it's, you know, it says you don't advise clients to build their wealth by chasing short-term risk at all investments. So maybe that's not chasing the latest equity or the latest IPO. Why do you think patience is a virtue when investing? There's always a new, new thing <laughs> every time since I've been in investments. And there's been a lot of money earned, but a lot of money also lost chasing it. To us, in terms of the benefit has always been in terms of you buy something that's really high quality, buy a high quality business and be patient because the market can be really cranky. It can be euphoric on certain days and other days it can be quite depressed. And you really want to have that long-term focus and be very steady and just not sell the inopportune time. And by having that focus, being steady, making a few but really smart decisions, that'll make sure in terms of your portfolio and overall financial situation evolves well over time. So the example of a business or a company that you guys would invest in, you know, can you give us a few examples of companies that you believe in that can scale quickly and uh, are good investments long term? So I'd say there's a combination of things. Um, and it, the key thing also is, like everything else, is you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So diversification is key. So just thinking about the past year where we've seen 
you know, opportunities is think about how well the technology companies have done in this work from home or, or work from anywhere environment. Anything from a DocuSign, which is really made in terms of real estate transactions much easier, to a Microsoft, we've all used Teams, et cetera. So some of these, which they're almost viewed as kind of boring technology companies that have subscription services. So once you sign up for Salesforce, you're going to continue paying that subscription. Same thing for Microsoft. Having those sorts of companies that have made our lives a lot easier is a good investment. And you want to balance that for something versus in terms of uh, in terms of a, a MasterCard or a PayPal, which is benefiting from in terms of movement to the sort of cashless society. You want to be able to balance that with in terms of some of these different companies that have benefit from in terms of mobiles, um, let's say towers and things such as that. And then also one of the other things is you want to think about an aging population. Healthcare, a lot of us are spending more and more to keep our well-being and having exposure to a little bit of healthcare is good. <laughs> so again, it's not putting all your eggs in one basket, having some growing companies and then having something stable like a, a Nestle would make sense in terms of a good diversified portfolio these days. So reading a lot lately about crypto and NFTs and all of that happening in the world is is crypto something you are seeing clients come to you that have investments in that space? Is this something you advise on at this point? We've had a lot of conversations about it. <laughs> Clearly, it's one of the things that's being talked about on every you know, news out, et cetera. And our approach thus far is the actual blockchain technology is incredible and has a ton of applications. Cryptocurrency is a little bit harder because there's nothing that's really behind it right now. It's not secured by in terms of like a US dollar being secured by the economy or, or gold. So to us, it's still a little bit speculative. If people want to talk about it, happy to help them think about it and how to right size it. Um, but it's not something we're actively investing in. But, you know, we have a few companies that should benefit from it, like a, a PayPal is now allowing you to invest in cryptocurrencies or there's companies that are making the chips that are people are mining it. So almost a safer way of going about investing it is to invest in companies that benefit from just the overall growth of the overall sector, as opposed to investing in the currency itself. You got to tell me though, have you had any clients show up and saying, I've got a hard drive full of Bitcoin. I'd like to convert this into something. We have not had that yet. <laughs> no, we have not had that yet. But it's, it's, again, it's something that people are talking about, and particularly in terms of the younger generations. We did actually have some on our team who invested in Dogecoin, but for the most part, we always say our clients have the, neither the time nor the desire to remake their net worth, and they'd rather us have slow and steady rather than taking big gambles for their hard-earned wealth. Yeah, Dogecoin dropped a third after Elon Musk's appearance on SNL the other night. So it's a, it's a very volatile world, but I certainly... You got to think, you know, somebody that did invest in Bitcoin just a few years back at ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars, and today that's worth fifty-five, sixty thousand dollars is a pretty phenomenal investment if you can unlock that value. That's true. No, and it'll be curious to see. I mean, it's a fascinating thing, but people always say, "Is the market has no memory? No one remembers where you purchase it." It's really what the price is currently, what's going to do going forward, and the key thing is really is do you have the right risk profile for it? So those are the, all the things we want to talk about, and it's a little bit is we have our circle of competence. What we know really well are high quality companies, stocks, bonds, et cetera, that you can trade in and out of because we value that liquidity. This is a different animal. We know about it, but for us, for a lot of our clients, we don't think it's appropriate right now. So if a broker comes to you and just got gets a big commission check, six figure check, what would your advice be to them to do with that money? 
Well, so first and foremost is we'd want to take a picture in terms of, you know, what's their overall situation looking like and what are their goals? Do they have an emergency fund? They should probably make sure to have three to six months of cash set aside in case you do see a real estate slowdown. Have they funded their retirement accounts? It sounds pretty boring, but it's able to be able to really kind of funding those retirement accounts allows to be able to grow those assets over time. Are they looking at other real estate opportunities and how nimble do they want these funds to be? So a little bit is, you know, put some money aside, short-term emergency fund, put some money aside long-term for a retirement account. And in that middle bucket, be able to develop a portfolio so it can grow, but also be nimble so they can take advantage of opportunities as they come up. So you're not recommending they go buy a new car to show clients around in? Well, uh, I guess we'd have to talk about their overall business and as a business expense. But uh, no, people, our goal is to make sure that no matter whatever client they have is they have a great outcome over time. And so a lot of that is just being kind of prudent, storing away for the future and not spending it all today. This episode is brought to you by Vector Bank Colorado. Are you looking to buy a new home? Or perhaps you are planning to refinance, renovate, or build? Carrie Coleman and the team at Vector Bank can help, offering traditional mortgages, home equity loans, refinance options, and construction loans of all sizes. Vector is ready to help with your next project. A unique product of Vector Bank is the one-time close loan, where you can simplify the building or remodeling process by combining your construction financing and permanent mortgage into one application one credit approval, and one closing process. Save time, money, and hassle by eliminating the need for reapproval at the end of your construction loan. Check them out at vectorbank.com. All loans are subject to credit approval. Terms and conditions apply. See a banker for details. Equal housing lender, NMLS number 467014. Vector Bank is a division of Zion's Bank Corporation, NA, member FDIC. So I'd love to talk a little bit about tools of the trade on the show. You know, it is a marketing uh, bent on the show, and we always try to dive into and unpack what what different brokers and firms are doing um, to get new business leads. So where does Obermeyer Wood get most of its business from? For the majority of it's really from clients. We've been really fortunate to have a great loyal group of clients. And if they're happy, they're willing to recommend our services. So that's where the majority of our business comes from. And they recommend it you know, to family, friends, also quite a few other professional advisors, so accountants and attorneys. And then because we've been mentioned in Barron's and Forbes, we've been able to get quite a few just from terms of overall recognition. Are there any marketing tactics, you know, if you are doing customer acquisition efforts that are working for you guys as a firm? I'd say two things we do is one is we do in terms of write a a newsletter, which is really thoughtful every few months. It highlights one overall market perspective, but it also delves into personal finance topics, you know, in terms of how to gift away funds at the end of the year, or how to talk to your kids about money, things like that. So those sort of thought leadership articles have really helped us. And then the one thing we've done this past year, because we've all had to pivot, is we've actually done great webinars, both for existing clients and prospects. We've done anything from something on Social Security to a tour of the Denver Museum, (laughs) to in terms of how to think about sleep. So making sure to also expand our services just beyond stocks and bonds, but thinking about other things that are, that are important to our clients, you know, well-being, health, et cetera, through this 
sort of monthly webinar thing has been a real fun adventure for us this past year. And that's actually really helped with new business as well. I took a look at some of your newsletters and they're, they're great, by the way. And, um, you know, I think one thing I, you know, con- consistently hear and when I'm talking to folks about marketing and some of my clients as well, email is an underutilized asset and thinking very thought, you know, putting a lot of thought into those emails and doing those on a regular basis and really having that touch point with your customer and your client and your you're, is a very, very effective marketing tool and something that's often overlooked. So I think you guys are doing a great job with that. Thank you. It's a balancing act because you want to keep our, your clients informed, but yet you don't over, want to overwhelm them. So one neat thing we did a couple of years ago is because a lot of our clients like to know what they own, um, we do what's called investment committee trading notes. So when we buy a new company, we send a little snippet of this is why we bought that company. It helps remind them that they own a little piece of a business the theory that goes into it and that we're constantly really trying to make decisions to have their portfolios benefit over time. What about social media? Does that make, you know, obviously besides organic posting and having the channels active as that, you know, doing paid social media an effective um, customer acquisition tool for you? So financial services have been really quite tough from a compliance point of view <laughs> with respect to social media. So we're just figuring that out. Um, we're just starting to do a few digital ads, et cetera. And it is, people are getting in touch with us, but it tends to be because they've seen our name different places. So they may have seen it on social media, they may have seen our newsletter, or they may have seen us sponsor a local event. And it seems to be they've, those multiple touch points are the best way to be able to get in front of some of our clients. So it's hard to say it's just social media. To me, it's that combined with those other initiatives that's allowing us to drive some of our new business development. What about for an office or a firm that has an has an office in both a mountain community like an Aspen and in a metro like Denver? Do you approach those two markets very differently from a marketing standpoint? There is some commonalities. Some of it is in terms of you know, we use the newsletter in both markets. We use social media in both markets. But a difference would be in terms of client events, probably more of an urban market, you want to have something more smaller and targeted. Whereas whenever we do client events up here in Aspen, we try to make them more, you know, in terms of opening, welcoming. <laughs> Some of it is in terms of kind of communications, how the office is designed. But I think to the really the back to the point is any sort of thing is you just want to make sure that clients, you're the right fit for them. They understand your values, they understand that consistency. And to me, that's not too different between the two different offices. Let's talk about your clients a little bit. You know, you said they're mostly from the Roaring Fork Valley and Metro Denver, but you do have clients out of state as well. Where are they predominantly from? So, yeah, we have clients in over 40 states. <laughs> but what I always say is that about two, two-thirds, if not more, have a Colorado connection. They either live in the Roaring Fork Valley full-time or they live somewhere around the Denver areas. And the other states tend to be, you know, friends of clients, relatives or people who have heard of us or actually who have a home here and they like to be able to have an advisor they can come see through those things. So while they're in a lot of different states where our mailings go, two-thirds of them have somewhat of a Colorado connection. Is there any themes in terms of the occupations or types of businesses that your clients typically represent or work for? We tend to work with quite a few entrepreneurs who started their own companies, and maybe they, that's why they're attracted to more of an independent, nimble firm There's a, in terms of a shared value there. Quite a few people, not surprisingly, you know, we have in terms of within the ski broader industry, we do with, work, work with a few doctors, but then also a lot of our clients 
are people who've retired and they've perhaps lived somewhere else, but as they've relocated out here, they want to have their advisors in Aspen or in Denver. And so they've transitioned those professional relationships from their old town to their new town. Do you have any fun client stories you can share with the listeners? I love our clients. The one thing I don't think I fully appreciate in this business is you know, my background, as I said, was really more, you know, investment banks, working for big firms and transitioning to the personal side. To me, it's the stories that you hear. It's the risks they took when they were younger to buy their first business or in terms of how they handle their kids and their grandkids. So part of what I really love in terms of transition to the personal side is each person has an individual story. And I love hearing it. And that's really kind of what keeps me excited about my job. So let's shift the conversation a little bit to market conditions. So you know, obviously this show look, really looks at what's happening on the ground in terms of market trends in the real estate, marketing, business sector, um, around the mountain economy, if you will, the mountain real estate economy. And it's been over a year now since COVID took hold and we went into quarantine and things are really starting to open up again. You know, we're now in going into green, a green level. Uh, first, we've had that here in Pitkin County. And so it's, it is pretty normalizing, if you will. And, you know, and I think it's going to be a strong recovery. The economy is clearly swimming in liquidity. Hard to predict the, the pandemic would change our lives as much as it did. Why are you encouraged by this global uh, situation improving so much? So part, part of really what it is, it's amazing in terms of what you said, what's changed in the, the past year. So who would have known a year ago that we would have, you know, multiple vaccines, things would be opening up again businesses would have been able to really adapt and pivot through this environment. And what we're seeing now is, you know, what's really underpying is people save and they want to spend a little bit. Companies have been incredibly creative. They've pivoted and created new services. Um, and it's probably going to be an uneven, reco- uneven recovery, but between in terms of, you know, more spending, businesses ready to invest, uh, and the employment situation changing, and in terms of just overall resumption of somewhat of global economic activity, it's making us cautiously optimistic. The reason to stay invested is you think the world's going to be in a better place five years than now, and it seems like we're going to be in that place. It's clear that you know consumers have saved a lot over the last year. They just weren't able to spend. They weren't traveling. Workers weren't you know going to an office. They're working from home and cooking more and doing all of those things that have changed in our lives. So the household savings rate is up significantly since pre-COVID. And, uh, you know, how would you predict that the higher saving rate and pent-up demand will result in the, you know, more spending this summer? So I saw a great article which was saying is, yes, there's going to be some pent-up demand, but it's going to be certain areas. So for instance, we all can't go back and make up for all the lost dinners we had. (laughs) We all can't go make up and make up for all those lost trips. But once things open up a little bit, we probably are going to travel a little bit more. We're going to probably be a little bit in terms of have some of those bigger budgets. So it's not going to essentially make up for everything we've lost for this past year, but some of that pent up demand will certainly benefit certain sectors. And those are the ones that pay attention to. And a lot of it's going to also be, you know, technology investment, business investment. So it's, it's going to actually spread across various different economies as people are ready to resume their life a little bit more normal again. Well, we know there's demand for real estate in the mountains that's been unprecedented uh, throughout this, right? For people wanting to find that escape or having the ability to work from home. And it's resulted in a record uh, lack of inventory heading into the summer selling season. How do you think that's going to impact overall spending and the kind of the atmosphere here in the mountains uh, in Aspen this summer? 
I think it's going to be busy this summer. <laughs> um, I think one thing it's also is what people have really realized is during this period of time, and part of it's why our local economy or the local real estate market's done so well, is people want to have a place that they can escape to. And I don't think that's going to go away uh, anytime soon. So you'll probably will continue to see in terms of demand for you know, real estate in whether it's mountain communities or in terms of other different areas. Um, I think it will you know, continue to change our town, our economy. Um, and I do think it's probably just you know, overall good for the, the overall valley. One other thing that happened during the pandemic is that a lot of women left the workforce. There was a lot of strain you know, on raising families when kids were at home or couldn't go to school or parents were trying to juggle and work from home. Um, so it's been very hard on that on that sector. And you as a female executive with with children at home, how have you been able to balance all that? It's been a crazy year, <laughs> but I feel really fortunate between, you know, my overall family. My husband helped a ton through the time, the flexibility to be able to work at home really neat. But I, I don't think I've ever worked as hard this past year, but I can say our family's closer. We've done a lot of things and we've survived. And to me, that's, you know, a, a trumpet. <laughs> um, so I think it'll be uh, recognized. I think in terms of a lot of female executive has really shouldered the burden. We've been able to play multiple roles, but for me personally, my family and my community really helped. Um, and so we all survived meltdowns and all, and um, looking forward to things getting back to being a little bit more normal. So we know it's going to be busy this summer. Um, you know, sound, you know, leisure destinations are just you know through the roof in terms of reservations and airline uh, capacities uh, heading into mountain towns and beach destinations. And obviously, the real estate uh, boom has also had an impact. You know, do you think this pand- the pandemic and all these outcomes have fundamentally changed everything about our towns in the mountains here? So as a transient myself, you know, I like in terms of when people want to welcome, join our community, particularly if they embrace the same values in terms of being able to work hard and play hard. <laughs> um, I remember, you know, when we moved here, people were wary of the influx of people who came kind of in the mid 2000s. And a lot of us have really, you know, just acclimated to this overall town and have great lives here. So I'm very open to in terms of the new entrants coming in and think our overall community will benefit from those who decide to stay here long-term. I, I completely concur, but I know there's also extreme pressure on affordability in the housing sector, especially for people that, you know, maybe there's somebody that wants to come work for Obermeyer Wood and, you know, and wants to live in the mountains. And then they they look at the housing market and the rental prices or to buy a home and it's it can be daunting. You know, do you think there's a tension there going forward? I think it's tough. It, it's something our valley needs to be able to figure out and to be able to have, whether it's, you know, more affordable housing. But I think the way we've solved it is we have, do have team members who live up and down the valley is be able to give them the stability of a good career, you know, pay them well and make sure that they feel they have the confidence that they can make that investment to stay here long term. So quite a few people have been able to get into free market housing more a few years ago, or they've been able to qualify for employer RO housing. So I think that's really important to make sure that we have a good thriving workforce going forward. So I know you've been working hard over the last year. It sounds like, you know, one of the tougher years in your, your career, uh, and that you and your family love to play as well. So what, you know, what is your favorite recreational pursuit, uh, heading into the summer season? So I am the traditional weekend warrior. <laughs> um, I love being outside on the weekends. During the summertime, 
you know, biking. I like to play golf. I'm not very good at it. And just being outside hiking, those are my uh, recreational pursuits with an occasional paddleboard when I can. Do you guys get out of here during the off season at all? Do you have a spot you like to go? So being in financial services is we don't really have an off season. <laughs> um, financial markets are open year round. And so I actually find the off season is the time where you're able to get through your to-do list. Um, so our family likes to travel, but unfortunately it's kind of along with everybody else when the school is over more than when it's during the off season. Do you guys have any summer travel plans? We do. Um, we're hoping to do a beach vacation, you know, kind of at the, in the end of June. Um, that's the one thing I miss in the mountains is seeing the ocean every once in a while. I'd like to do it once a year if we can. And then we have a family reunion back in Cape Cod at the end of the season, at the end of the summer, which I'm really looking forward to. If you have an important client uh, coming to Aspen, uh, where would where do you like to entertain that client? So if quite a few clients coming into town, they like to recreate um, when they can. They like to be able to go for a bike ride or catch a few ski runs if they're visiting. And so that's always a really wonderful time to be able to, to bond with them. And if not, I always like in terms of, you know, uh, taking them to lunch, you know, sitting outside the Hotel Jerome during the summer is always nice or Metzaluna or meat and cheese. So just trying to be able to to partake in as many of and support as many of the local restaurants as possible as we can with client entertainment. Now, does the firm or yourself, uh, do you have a nonprofit or charitable cause you guys get behind? As a firm, we get quite uh, uh, behind quite a few charitable causes, and they're usually tied into three things. They're tied into kids' education and the environment. So we've been a big supporter of ACES, Aspen Valley Ski Club, um, and really in terms of just quite a few organizations. And then myself, really threefold is I'm very supportive of the Aspen Education Foundation because I think it's really important to have a strong school here. Both my kids are ski racers, so really dedicated to the Aspen Valley Ski Club. And then I serve on Theater Aspen, and I love having culture in our town during the summer, so are able to support that as well. Nice. So final question. You know, we've, you know, it's been a year, you know, a year ago we were kind of deep, dark pandemic pretty sure nobody would have predicted that 2020 would have ended up uh, a record in terms of real estate transactions and that, you know, that the markets would be where they are today, given everything that we were faced with as a country with the pandemic. What's your prediction going into the rest of 21? Prepare for the unexpected. (laughs) I think you always have to do that with respect to life and financial markets. And I think also is when things come unexpected, remember things to be steady. If you look back at last year, you had in terms of you know down markets last March and then everything recovered really well. So as long as you don't overreact and kind of stick with that steady long-term approach, that's the best way to be able to handle whatever comes your way. If anyone's listening and wants to know more about the services that Obermeyer Wood offers, what's the best way for them to learn more? Our website, uh, obermeyerwood.com is probably the best way to do that. Or, you know, email me or call. Um, We're always happy to sit down and talk to anybody who just wants to hear about what you do affirm to make sure we're a good fit. Um, There's no obligation. So they can email me, Allie at Obermeyerwood.com or call me 925-8747. No, Allie, this has been a great conversation. You know, we've we've talked to a lot of brokers and stuff, and it's really, it's really fun to learn more about what you do how you've been able to make uh, a great career living in the mountains, doing what you love and what you're great at. 
and servicing clients here in the mountains. And uh, I love when, you know, you guys kind of position yourselves almost as financial therapists. And, you know, a lot of people need somebody to talk to about these big decisions in their lives. And you guys offer that on a local level. And it's really great that you can do that here in the mountains and be as successful as you've been. So congratulations. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's just so proud to be able to also help this podcast. I think it's really fascinating for your viewers. And for me personally and our firm, we just feel really lucky to, to do what we do, which we love in a great community like this. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe or follow the show. If you liked what you heard, please leave a short review and share it with a friend. For more information about Selling the Mountains, including feedback, suggestions, or sponsorship opportunities, please visit sellingthemountains.com and sign up for our newsletter. You can follow the show on Instagram or Facebook at Selling the Mountains. You can follow the host on Twitter at Christian Knapp or on Instagram at Napstagram. This show was produced in collaboration with Dustin H. James at Podboarder. Selling the Mountains is a production of Moment of Truth, LLC. All rights reserved.